Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Sunday, July 12th. This is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 367 with the Boston Globe's Gary Washburn is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your exclusive sign-up bonus. Okay, everybody, welcome in. Good to see you again. Good to be back with you, of course, for another edition of Celtics Beat. And as you can see in front of you, at least if you're watching the video version of this podcast, we got a couple of special people here with us, as usual, our producer, Evan Valenti, and also national basketball writer for the Boston Globe and a good friend of this program, Gary Washburn. Gary, how you doing? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Doing all right. Obviously, you know, weird times. No question about that. How have you been uh, holding up over the last few months? Staying sane? Yeah, staying sane. Um, It's been an interesting, you know, few months just not having professional sports or sports at all, obviously. Uh, But just learning new things, uh, trying to watch a lot of Netflix. Um, I was able to finish a book, uh, do some classwork for a class I'm taking. So, a lot of constructive things uh, over the last three and a half months. That's awesome. Never stop learning, right? What are yeah. you taking? Yeah, you got to take advantage of the time. I mean, we have, you know, you have no choice. None of us had any choice here. I mean, it uh, wasn't like, you know, even we, we couldn't travel and go somewhere in a different part of the world and just escape this. So uh, you definitely had to just try to make the best of the time you had. I hope everybody did, although it was very difficult. What are you taking as far as the class goes? Uh, I'm taking, I was taking an uh, advertising class, actually. I just finished nice. a global advertising class uh, for a degree I'm working on. So that was pretty neat to learn about different parts of the world and how you advertise there and how uh, not every place uh, pretty obviously is like the United States in terms of how people feel and, the, uh, you know, how, who makes the decisions in the homes and how liberal or conservative they are and mm-hmm. traditional they are. So that was something interesting to learn. Um over the last few weeks, stuff I really had no idea that you would market a item differently in uh, the United States than you do in France or Italy or, or places like that. Just so long as you're not thinking about life after sports yet, we don't. You don't want to worry the people. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to get back to sports. Uh, let's hope this all goes off safely. I mean, I mean, you know, we, we thought by now we'd be able to pull this off, and the, the corona would be. Uh, you know, kind of under control, but over the last few weeks, that's that's not been the case. So I just hope everything happens safely. Well, let's start right there because that has been a popular talking point, as you would expect on this show over the last several weeks and, and really in many ways since the pandemic began. Uh, I am very skeptical, Evan is as well, that this yes. thing is going to go off without a hitch, it, largely because, I mean, a, a, a the coronavirus, a pandemic in general, a virus, it is – unpredictable so you know you commend Adam Silver if we're focusing on the NBA as we do with this show you commend the commissioner all these teams for keeping their heads in the right places staying motivated prioritizing the right things health and safety first and foremost and trying to make this happen wanting to satisfy partnerships we know this is money it's financially driven that's that's the the key cog in all of this stuff but you know Crowning a champ, that's that's secondary. That's as important as anything to the fans, to the players, to the coaches, to the teams themselves. Without knowing the future, without having that crystal ball, what do you anticipate here? At this point, I think it's going to go off 
smoothly in terms of I think the one good thing the NBA did was start testing a couple of weeks ago. So to catch this thing early, to get a, a, a list, compile the list of players who are testing positive, get them healthy, um, and then let them make a decision as to whether they want to continue the season and go down. Obviously, uh, several players on the Brooklyn Nets and other players have backed out, medical reasons, COVID reasons, family reasons, social issue reasons, but mm -hmm. get this, I think the good thing the NBA did was get this thing started early and start testing early over, uh, and get this under control. And so far, like with 5% of the players, 6%, um, it wasn't 28% or something kind of scary that way. Uh, and then now you put them in a controlled environment, you quarantine them for a few days, they get back to a place where they're practicing only with each other, they're only fraternizing with each other, this bubble. So I think it has all the makings of going off smoothly. I think it will, unless something unforeseen happens where someone's infected and it affects a lot of people or one player becomes infected and, you know, but I just think from the testing, considering uh, what we've seen, you know, and even watching like the TBT and guys playing ball there and sweating on each other, nothing's really, happened at the TBT that I recalled last week or so. I think it's been a good litmus test for the league uh, to move forward. So I see it going smoothly, but I think that the league is, league is trying to prepare for anything at this point. Yeah, you, you, mentioned, you, right you mentioned the testing element here. That's going to be the real key part of this whole thing is testing every day, making sure that as soon as something happens, the NBA reacts to it quickly. And, and Silver has been – Adam Silver has been unbelievable. Um, and I, I, I feel for him a little bit only because it seems like he's kind of paving the way for everybody else. You know, the NBA – uh, I mean, baseball is going to be starting up fairly, relatively shortly. You have uh, hockey as well starting up very shortly. The MLS has been a little bit of a disaster. You've had a couple of teams actually pull out of the MLS. But it feels like there's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of Adam Silver because it seems like the NBA, rightfully or wrongfully, is going to be sort of a guinea pig here where – they these guys are going to a controlled environment, hopefully, quote-unquote, controlled environment, right? It's not a true bubble because they're going to let people in and out. The, the staff at Disney is going to be in and out. Um, but I feel like Adam, out of any commissioner in American sports, is the guy that can handle something of this magnitude. Because, again, I don't think it's just the NBA that's riding on his shoulders. I think, you know, Major League Baseball will take cues from him. I think the NFL has a very envious position where they can kind of sit back and say, okay, here's what baseball did. Here's what basketball did. Here's what hockey did. We just need to find the best version of that. So Adam Silver, I commend him a lot. And you mentioned testing. That testing element is so big, not just for the NBA, but for America in general to make sure we control the spread of this thing. And that's where I get – a little nervous is like one test in the middle of this whole thing could wipe out the whole thing, Gary. Yeah, you could think so. You think so, but I think that they believe if they test every day and uh, suddenly one guy tests positive, you can might be able to put, you know, kind of quarantine him and keep it moving. I mean, that's why the everyday testing people ask, well, you know, is that, is that too much? Why are they just, they could test twice a week. That'd be fine. But they want to make sure that if a guy test positive, sorry, negative Tuesday, and he gets to Tuesday night, they know Wednesday, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important, not to let this thing linger two or three days or have guys have it, like let's say contract it after a, a negative test, practice or play in a game two, three days later, four or five teammates have it. So I think the everyday testing is something that it's going to be a hassle and it's going to be painful for some of the guys. And they're not doing the deep, deep nose test, but they're doing enough. Uh, another type of test with the nostrils uh, that isn't pleasant either, but it's not the, you know, the one that goes eight inches up your nose. Um, but it's mandatory. I mean, th this is the only way to pull this thing off at this point. We all thought that with the numbers going down in May and in June, that this thing would be under control and that it wouldn't be, this wouldn't be necessary, but all of a sudden Texas, California, Florida, numbers have sprouted up. States started opening up prematurely Georgia, and then suddenly it became a real issue again. Uh, maybe not with uh, deaths, quote-unquote, but just people contracting this thing. And you see all these mm -hmm. college parties and frat parties and things on uh, Twitter that you're like, what are people thinking? But I think that the league has to do it this way. And the mandatory testing is, is, is critical 
and you cross your fingers. So I don't think anyone knows and can predict what's going to happen. Even the greatest medical experts that the NBA has consulted with, I think, are cautiously optimistic, but they can't guarantee something won't happen. Well, to that point, too, with regard to exposure and everything that you just hit on, and Damian Lillard's among the players who's brought this up, other players have as well, just the fact that you can give, you can lay out all the protocols, all the rules, all the regulations. You just don't know until you know. Can players be trusted to do exactly what they're supposed to be doing? You know, given the fact that they're away from friends, away from families for several weeks, up to three months, you know, if, if all goes well for a team on the floor, can these guys actually stay within the, the realm of their teams? Can they stay with their teammates in their rooms? Can they you know, prevent themselves from either venturing outside the bubble, you know, trying to sneak off, get away with something, or, you know, heaven forbid, it's, look, we know how this works, right? A player all of a sudden meets a, a, you know, a member of the Disney staff who is coming in and out of the bubble and and who knows what goes on behind the scenes. Like this, this is just reality that we're dealing with right here. Can these guys be trusted? I think they can. I I think, that is being a little overplayed and overrated. I think the mm-hmm. – okay, we're, we're looking at players now, all of them, most of them, 75% of them are born in the 1990s, okay? Um, they're the video game guys. You get them a video game console, um, some <laughs> food, they are good. In FaceTime, they're good. This is not the party. This ain't the 90s. This ain't the last dance generation where these guys are clubbing – partying and they were they weren't you know Dennis Rodman's here anymore right (laughs) these guys aren't going to sneak off to Vegas they're not going to take they're not going to hang with the stripper they're not doing this this is generations a little different than the 90s or the 2000s generation the Shaq guys that were at the club I mean where are they gonna go what clubs are open in Orlando that these guys (laughs) are going to sneak off to where where where? and then if they do get to these places they're going to get spotted they got camera phones so let's say mm-hmm. X player goes to Orlando nightclub um, or Orlando strip club, someone is going to take a photo and then all hell breaks loose. So I think that there's an understanding. These guys have commitment to their teams and their teammates. You just give them a video game console, a cell phone, a computer where they can FaceTime their friends and family and places they, they can golf, they can play ping pong, they can work out. I think they'll, for three months, they'll be good. I don't think they'll, all of them will like it that way, obviously, but I don't see them guys going out and, and sneaking, you know, this isn't like, you know, college where, you know, you're breaking curfew and, and you're, you're leaving, you're coming back at 5 a.m. Like, there's so many, I don't think, the league is not going to control, like, you can leave the compound if you want. But if someone finds out, okay, you go to, uh, Orlando's top strip club, or you go to Orlando's top club, and if that's if that place is open, we don't know if if they're going to be even open, and you try to get your party on, someone's going to, and you six eight, someone's going to see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like let, let's be honest. I mean, um, so I think this whole thing of all well, the players, you know, abide by the rules. I don't think they have a choice, and I also think these young guys, you give them a video game, and you give them. Call of Duty and Fortnite, they're pretty good. And and, and, a, and a hot meal and a phone, like this is not the the Jordan years, the Rodman. This is this is not. I mean, I was a young person covering the league during those times. Those dudes got out. Okay, those dudes. <laughs> yeah. The club was a definite part of their culture. These younger guys, the millennials, the guys that are twenty through twenty four, not as much. I hope the food's better than what Troy Daniels was putting on Instagram the other day. Yeah, like I saw uh, someone put like had some like red beans and rice and some chick like <laughs> you know it's got to improve. I would hope, right? It would be restaurants. I mean, it's called. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been down. This is an entire campus. Like you can't walk Disney. Like I think it's twenty miles from one end to the other. So you're mm. not walking. There's restaurants. There are all types of businesses on this campus. They have sequestered this place to where, you know, these guys can't have a happy life and, and live there for three months. And there are top-notch restaurants. Uh, there's a Morton Steakhouse, started getting them plugged, but there's 
places that serve really quality food. So let's hope that the food improves uh, for now. And so these guys don't complain. I don't like to see them complain, but I understand they're, they're millionaires, many of them. They're used to eating. And then if you guys have been to NBA games, the post-game spread is catered by top-notch restaurants in every city. So mm-hmm. they're used to eating first-class, you know, food, not like, you know, the stuff that we ate in college or not the, not not lean cuisine or you know, TV dinners or some of the stuff that they're getting they're getting served now. It's not prison food. Someone made that reference, but um, it's a little less private than what they're used to. Look, right, we so were talking suppose... about this earlier. Well, we were talking about this earlier, Adam. You got to be a ment- like we've mentioned how you got to be mentally tough to win this yeah. tournament. Whatever you want, this could be part of this mental toughness, right? It's not going to be first class accommodations all the way across the board. Here. This is going to be maybe a little humbling for some guys, which I've and I've, I've noticed. Like Jalen Brown spoke uh, Saturday about how you know he was. It's like, look, man, you're not going to hear me talk about the quality conditions here. I come up from humble, you know. A background and I, I'm going to stay that way. And John Morant's talked about it too. He's talked about, you know, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. This is perfectly okay for me to play basketball in. And like some guy, and what, it's great because some of the younger guys been able to see this and, and kind of, you know, with good perspective, lay it out for everybody. Cause you know, Rondo complains how it's not, you know, the Ritz Carlton or something like that. Everybody has to jump on Rondo, but most guys I think are handling it with the right, right uh, amount of dignity here. But you talk about how mentally tough this is going to factor into all this stuff. This is not what they're used to for sure. No, but I also think they're staying at four and five star hotels in this place. Like yeah. everything, they they have a personal. They have barbers. They're getting catered to. Like this is not the tough. You know, this is not. Uh, they're know, not in the army. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, this is not like. Uh, this is not Roseanne in, in, in the con. They're not, working, <laughs> they're not doing working class. It's not working class here. Okay, this is not what these guys' parents worked on. Like so. I'm glad to see Jalen and John Moran and guys like that say, listen, I mean, this ain't what we're used to, quote unquote, but this is not bad. Like, and I just think that's what everybody kind of has to get used to. I think we live in a society now where everybody wants to be the person to to post on social media, the new, it's not cool to say, I'm not complaining about nothing. I'm not posting my dinner on social media. Everybody wants to do it to get the likes and the clicks and Mm -hmm. for people to say, Oh, wow, that's crazy. You know, like people will just want that type of attention. Um, I'm glad a lot of players aren't falling into that. Let's just deal with it for three months. There's people doing a lot worse, obviously. Unemployment, um, strife, sickness, people have lost loved ones. So like the fact that you got, uh, you know, not enough starch or, you know, you don't like green beans and they gave you green beans. Let's get over <laughs> that. Let's, let's move on to basketball. Well, so like you said, I think you put it perfectly. Deal with it is exactly what all these teams are going to have to do. And all 20 teams, uh, 22 teams, they're in Orlando now. In fact, I was looking earlier just to read through some of this. Players did count against each club's list of 37 people. So most teams brought the full complement of 17 players. That left 20 spots for coaches, assistant coaches, player development, video security, strength and conditioning, athletic training, media relations, content creators. That's it within 37, which is far less than a normal traveling party. So it's just a whole bunch of people media as well that are going to have to deal with it what do you suppose is the biggest hurdle here let's say not for these teams that are only going to be around for a handful of weeks but you know if a team is serious about being focused will to win as cliche as that might sound we've talked about that on this show and is actually really chasing this championship really embracing the situation what's the biggest hurdle is it physical is it mental is it psychological is it emotional i mean if you were to like boil it down to just the the toughest part of this thing for everyone, for everyone involved, for a team, what is it? I think one, just the lifestyle change. I mean, these guys are creatures of habit, so no travel. Okay, all you know, the Celtics have to play every other day except one. They play a back to back. Then you head into the playoffs. The, the, their eight eight final eight games. Um, I think the, the, just getting used to the atmosphere. No fans. Music piped in, which it, which it is hearing your shoes squeak, the, the summer league kind of atmosphere where you the only guys clapping for you when you score a basket, the guys on your bench, you know, mm-hmm. like things like that. I just think that's going to take – that's AAU stuff, that stuff that they did in the summers in college, uh, you know, between, between classes. Like that's what they're going to have to get used to, just a change in atmosphere. I think eventually we'll all get used to it. I think the league is going to come up with ways to make the games look 
I mean, I think we're le learning some things from the TBT, the, the little uh, posters they're putting behind. I don't know if you guys watch those games. The posters are putting, so it's, it's, it's not empty bleachers you're watching. Um, music's piped in. You can hear some things. Uh, they might have to do a seven-second delay because guys do curse, uh, you know, on, at, the, at the officials, at each other, at themselves. So I have, welcome it. I want more of that. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have to be R-rated uh, or cover the kids' ears when you watch some of these games. But I think they'll figure out a, an inventive way to make it different because it's not going to be the same. You can't, you know, you're not going to put like uh, the Korean baseball teddy bears in the seats to make it look like people. Um, you're not, these, the NBA ain't going to fool you. They know it's going to be different. But I think they can make it different, uh, but not as entertaining, but almost or something different than where, you, where you'll be intrigued. And after a week or so, you won't even really notice that, okay, there's no fans. Um, but it's just the players are going to have to get used to that. Some players are motivated by the fans. I'll talk to, to former players who say that some of these guys who dominate in practice and don't play well in games might be great players in the games come because now there's no fans. I mean, if, I think someone's going to be a superstar in this return that we never expected because they're just going to play great ball because they're going to love the atmosphere of no fans. Um, and they're going to turn out to be a, a player, maybe lead a team to a championship that you never expected. Um, and who knows what kind of shape a lot of these guys are in, the Joel Embiid's and the guys who have had trouble with conditioning, how motivated they will be. Um, all that is all up here. And that's what I think, you know, is going to make this very interesting is the NBA is a league that guys are creatures of habit. Mental toughness is there, but a lot of these guys get catered to. But now in this situation, not so much. And let's see what happens when it's up to them to motivate themselves. And they don't, they can't look to the crowd to do the, the stir, stir them up, or they can't <laughs> do that anymore because no one's there. Who are those on the Celtics, by the way? Are there any of those players that you think or, you know, in your experience being there, just talking to coaches, other players, hearing about it, that are really dominant in practice versus those that are maybe gamers that aren't necessarily going to perform as well in this situation because well, they I do mean, thrive on the crowd so much? Yeah, I mean, there's guys. I mean, you know, look for a guy like Tremont Waters might make, make an impact. I mean, he's this one of the 17th guys. They bring him up. He's guys who was impressed in practice. You know, look, the young guys might flourish in this situation because now there's not the pressure in terms of the fans. And, and so, but I think it's the same guys that you see, you know, the, the Jalen's, you know, let's see what happens, what we expect from Gordon Hayward. Gordon's now completely healthy. Remember, he had that foot thing. He was going through a lot of nagging stuff before the season got suspended. Completely healthy. Jalen had that hamstring injury. That's healed. So now everybody comes back pretty much as a reboot, completely healthy. I'm just waiting for Gordon Hayward to be averaging 25 a game or something like that, and then he's going to have to leave to go be with he's his wife, which I that's which gonna, I do that's, not that's for happen. I don't I don't for one second criticize him for that. Like, of course, that's what you do when you're when you're bringing a child into the world. But and, and I'm sure there will be people that criticize him for it if and when the Celtics are still there and that rolls around. I'm certain there will be, but. Uh, it, it, I mean, isn't that just exactly how this script goes for Gordon Hayward and his time with the Celtics? Like, this will be the time that he's fully healthy, dominant, and then, up. Oh, I got to leave. Yeah, <laughs> I got to, sorry, would, guys. That would, that would summarize his Celtic tenure if he left for a game, potential game seven or something like that. Um, let's hope that doesn't happen. I really think Gordon's a good guy who's had some really poor luck in Boston, some misfortune. Um He's gotten himself together this season after a struggle last season. So let's hope that this all goes smoothly, that his wife, Robin, smoothly delivers. There's no uh, issues with her delivery. He can come back in a couple of days, uh, rejoin the team. He doesn't have anything uh, in terms of corona, when he, so he can quarantine for like the four days. I think it's four days if you leave the combat and come back and you test negatively while you're there. Uh, away so let's hope all that goes down and he can join the team um and they've already won the series or, or they're in a break i mean you just hope for gordon's sake he doesn't miss a game seven or a, a, a pivotal game game six uh closeout game and he's gotta go i mean you, you just hope that doesn't happen to him 
Yeah, I can feel it coming already, though. Just the way that we can see, <laughs> just, just the way. And again, there's not. I I don't blame them at all. I mean, look, yeah, this, the, the birth of a child is a very significant part of your life. You need to be there. I have no problem with Gordon leaving and any because again, the, look, they've probably planned it out a little bit to happen during the off season. I think they there was a little foresight there, and this is a little different. So I I I don't uh, have any problem with anybody backing out or Gordon leaving in the middle of this to go witness the birth of a child. I have no problem with it. Plus, it's the first boy, right? I think it's the first boy. There's yeah. three girls yeah. now. One, one yeah. hopefully you know healthy yeah, boy daddy, coming on the way. Daddy's wife. finally happy. Yeah, I know, right? So, for, so for Gordon's <laughs> sake, I, again, I I have no problem with it. But since we've mentioned it, and again, his luck throughout these his entire Celtics ten years has just been awful. I feel terrible for the guy because you you see it in flashes and what Boston looks like when he's able to really facilitate. Uh, you know, generate offense, whether he's moving the basketball, starting the play, or finishing it with some sort of, you know, shot around a curl or breaking a guy down off the dribble or that, that classic Gordon Hayward, get in the lane, spin around, fade away from about 10, 12 feet out that goes in almost every time. Um, that having that guy, uh, on the floor is going to make Boston a different animal here because they've had, you know, certain guys slip up all over the, all over the place and Tatum being probably the biggest one. Um, having a healthy Gordon to, to kind of calm the waters down when things aren't going well is always a nice thing to have. For sure. I want to mention very, uh, very quickly here, we'll get right back to Gary. Of course, uh, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports slowly making their way back. UFC, NASCAR, soccer leading the way. Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Anywhere you want to check out, there's PGA as well. But NBA Futures, Lakers favored to win the championship, plus 240. The Clippers right behind them at 300. And uh, Bucks, you got plus 300 as well. Same as the Clips. The Rockets, plus 1,200 if you're looking for value. The Celtics, plus 1,800. And if you need more than that, BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, UFC happening every single day live for you to check out. So if you're looking for something else, maybe other than sports, BetOnline, hundreds of live casino games coming at you, poker tournaments, all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus. Start planning today and start playing as well. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let's go there for a second, Gary. I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on odds and that sort of thing, except for this element, which is do odds really matter? You know, is, is there such a thing as a, a championship favorite in this new bizarre situation where, like you outlined, there is no travel, everybody is in the same emotional, psychological, mental boat? I mean, it truly does. There's no home court advantage. There's no fan advantage. It, it really does, almost more than any other time in the NBA, come down to talent and will to win as I mentioned before, first and foremost, is, is that how you see it? Or am I, I don't know, simplifying it too much? That's how I see it. I mean, it all depends on what team is going to come together quicker during this time. Remember, this is like an off season. So you basically you're rebooting and you have like a new season for some of these teams. It's um, who knows how the Lakers are going to respond with Ivy Bradley and with now J.R. Smith and remember mm-hmm. Deion Waiters was signed right before the season was suspended the Clippers are pretty much bringing back the same team. Um, so are the Celtics and so are the Bucks. But, you know, what about what will Philadelphia do now that they're healthy? Ben Simmons completely healthy from the back injury. Joel Embiid, they're six feet uh, when, when we last saw them. What do they bring? So I just think there's so much uncertainty. I mean, that's, I think, the fascinating part, which would be interesting about these uh teams is who knows what to expect from my what's Miami going to do uh they're a team that was great at home same same with Philadelphia Philadelphia had two home laws 29 and two uh at home before the suspension so how that hurt them playing in a neutral site same with what with Miami and some of these great home teams and and what will Houston look like uh or you know a Denver uh teams that now you know, have championship aspirations or can make a run, will they make a run? Are we going to see Lakers Clippers in the conference finals? And we're seeing Milwaukee, Toronto in the East, like who's going to step up. I mean, there's going to be, I just think a bunch of surprises. There's going to be a surprise team here, maybe a sixth or seventh seed, maybe Oklahoma city. What do they were a great team on the road. They just had just finished beating the Celtics when we broke. I mean, um, how, how are they going to look now? I mean, the, the thunder, a team that no one expected to do anything. 
uh, the Mavericks with Luca. Like, there's so many stories. It's fascinating. And then what about all the teams, the, the, the Pelicans and the Kings, Portland and the Grizzlies and the Spurs chasing um, Memphis for that one last playoff spot. What's going to happen with them? How's that going to go? What's Zion going to do? Like, there's so many storylines. It's going to be, I mean, just exciting. Six games a day all through the afternoon. I mean, there's going to be a one o'clock games on a Wednesday. I mean, you can't <laughs> ask for anything more. Then at night, it's going to be baseball's back. So, I mean, we're going to get a smorgasbord of sports. when We get NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, and let's see what happens to the NFL all, all in September. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't know about college football. That's, that's something that I've been obviously hoping. I doubt it. Yeah, it'll come back. But it sounds like it's going to be pushed back maybe to the end of the year or even you know maybe the last couple of months of the year. But you're going to have the four major sports all going on at the same time. Um, so I just think it's going to be as, as much as we've suffered as sports fans over the three months, I think we're going to get our get paid back a little bit uh, over the next three or four months. You're well connected. Have any players, you know, that you've been in touch with, be it on the Celtics or other teams across the league, have any of them said to you, look, I, I get why we're doing this and I want to get paid and, you know, I don't really want to do it, but my teammates are doing it and I don't want to be the one that doesn't do it, but this sucks and I kind of hate this. I don't know if the people think, these guys think that this sucks. I just do think that there's a, a certain un- level of uncertainty about how this is all going to go down, being away from your family for three months. Um, you got guys who are very close, you know, their fathers are very close to their families, very close to their spouses, obviously. Uh, also, you know, you talk about mothers and fathers in terms mm-hmm. of you can't see your parents. And, you know, now you might be able to bring them out um, when players are allowed to have visitors. But what about, if your parents are a little older, um, they might be a health risk. What do you do then? You know, you, you leave them at home and just hope that everything ends up okay and, and see them when it's over. So I think there's a level of uncertainty. I think you're also talking about guy. You know, you as an NBA player, you pretty much have everything. You have your family with you in many cases. You, your short, your road trips are relatively short. You know, this is not. You know, you're not going on uh, two week road trips like in maybe in baseball. So you're talking about guys who are, have a comfortable life in terms of their personal life. Their family's around them. They, co- they go to every game in many cases. Um, so you're taking that away. And as, you, as we've seen, like a guy like Avery Bradley with his son or Trevor Ariza in a custody situation where he can only see his son during the summer. So he decided to bypass joining his team in Portland. Like there's a lot of factors that, that go into this. I, so I do think that there's players who are like, uncertain but i also think there's players who are ready to ball like i think the overwhelming majority of players are ready to ball yeah brad had that quote after practice on saturday how they had it's normally they get three hours of practice time that's cut down in half to one and a half hours and he said at the end of the practice that everybody wanted to come back they were they, they were excited to play basketball again but they all wanted to come back tomorrow and play again so it seems again a little bit of normalcy maybe some of that uneasiness gets a little uh, uh, taken care of as we get back to more normal things. But again, I don't blame anybody for, for having that thought. I mean, it's just, we're all in this new world together, so to speak, right? Like this is none of us have done this before. And again, I get the skepticism and all that stuff. And the, the one thing is like, when you talk about reasons why people might not come, you know, you have health reasons, uh, you have, uh, family reasons, Ariza, Bradley being two of them. But then you have, you know, big social economic issues that we have going on in this country right now with the Black Lives Matters movement um, that, you know, Kyrie's talked about, Dwight Howard talked about. Uh, Dwight's donating, I think, his game checks to, to charity. Patty Mills donating his game checks to charity. My, my question for you, Gary, would be more around, you know, are, are, is the NBA doing enough to satisfy some of the problems that some of these players have had with, you know, continuing this basketball season during a very important time in this country? I think all the NBA can do is allow the players to express themselves how they want. Now, I'm not sure what's going to happen during the national anthem where the players are going to kneel. I think that's a, a, a sticky issue with the league. I don't think the league wants players to kneel during the anthem, but I don't know if they can help it this time or control that. Um, but I think the best thing they could have done is talk to the Player Association and say, okay, what do you, how do you guys want to do this? You know, like, what's your feedback on this? We're not going to 
lay down some strict guidelines or rules, but how do you want to do this? And the names on the jerseys was interesting, putting Black Lives Matter on the floor, interesting things that I think a lot of players would say, okay, they can express themselves. And I also think too, post-game interviews, they can, they can talk and, and say what they have to say. They can, um, you know, send out various messages. So they'll, they'll have a forum that everyone's going to be watching this. Uh, let's be honest, because, you know, we all love the NBA. So there's going to be millions and viewers throughout the world, desperate for sports. They're going to be tuning in. And they're going to see what these guys have to say. And I just think it was a good thing for the league and the player association to collaborate on this and come up with a comprehensive plan as opposed to like the league trying to set guidelines and tell them what these guys can and can't do. Um, so I, I think the players are going to have a chance to allow the, to, to say what they need to say. If they want to uh, contribute money to charity, uh, their game checks, I think that's a great thing. Dwight Howard, Patty Mills. Um, but I also think it's okay if guys don't want to say something or they just want to let their play speak for themselves uh, and maybe put something on their jersey and keep it moving there. Um, not everybody has to say something. NBA players are not monolithic. They're not all one guy. There's going to be some guys with plenty to say, some guys without much to say at all. Um, I think as long as they have that right to say something, voice their opinion, displeasure with how the world is going, the social issues, uh, I think the league will be fine. The players will be fine. Although I did hear Jalen Brown, maybe Shemi Ojale also, I'm trying to remember, comment on the fact that they felt, you know, there was some, be it wording phrases, you know, whatever they may be that they wanted on the backs of their jerseys that weren't part of, you know, a, a pre-approved list. Is the NBA at all limiting in that way? Or have they opened things up at all? I think so. I think they're going to review review that. Um, obviously, they didn't want the names of some of the people who have been killed. Uh, for family reasons, respect to the family. You don't want mm -hmm. guys playing with George Floyd's name on the back of the jersey. I, I could understand that uh, for sensitivity issues. Um, you know, and I know Jalen said some things, said some phrases and statements that he might want. Um, I think the NBA, you know, wanted to set some guidelines so you don't see he hate me and some of these things yeah. from the yeah. XFL where guys start plugging plugging companies or they're plugging their way, you know, you know, not everybody's on the same page here, right? So there's going to be certain guys that, that might use this as promotional value, promotional purposes, not many. I'm not saying that's going to be a major issue, but, but you give guys a certain list of things that they can put. So it's not things that might take away from the game. Um, but I do think that they'll be open to, to some of the suggestions that Jalen made, which were very sensible. Um, and, you know, some of these guys have certain phrases that mean a lot to them, but not a lot to us outside the circle. So I think they should be allowed to do that. I just think the NBA just didn't want a free for all. And like the XFL many years ago, mm -hmm. where it was like, what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> or, you know, or is that, is that like a, you know, a disguised meaning for this. Like, I just think they yeah. wanted something straightforward messages. Well, to your point though, as long as a player isn't, and I, I don't think many would, I would hope nobody would, but as long as you don't have a player going with whatever it is and then wanting to then trademark it and start a clothing line. And there's unless all that money's going to, you know, charity to support the movement, then I guess maybe you can make a counter argument the other way, but you don't want to see anything escalate to that point. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying all players have that in mind, but you know, there's a there's a there's a there's a marketer and commercial guy. There's a there's a there's a business plan with every, every you know every group of people has somebody who's like, hey, how can we make money off this? So yeah. um, you never know what agents might tell some of these guys to put. So I just think the league wanted to say, okay, guys, this is what this is a list we've compiled with the league with the players, and this is would be good that it wouldn't have any ulterior messages, motives, things like that that could be misconstrued. We'll get back to the Celtics and talking about some of the specific players and their chances for a championship and that sort of thing before we let you go. But just to continue with this for a moment, because you mentioned it, you know, look, like we're, we're not in a great place. And that goes without saying we haven't been for a very long time. Are we in a better place, though, now than we were, say, I don't know, six months ago? 
I think we have more awareness, I guess. I mean, I like to see that turn into action. Uh, it's great that people are finally realizing that there is a certain thing as white privilege and that when you walk into a bar and you're the only person of color and people look at you, and I'm not saying that happens to people who are, what the hell are you doing here, get out. But you notice, like, there's no one in here like me. Um, and you get used to that. And I think that it's interesting that now uh, white people, especially, are kind of realizing, wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't know police, police brutality really existed until they saw a George Floyd video. And then you've got guys, you know, black people were like, man, that's a Tuesday. Like, that just got on video. You know, like, it's something that when you, your relationship as a black person with the police is, is very, it's very touchy. Um, you know, you don't have generally, the police officers don't live in your neighborhood. They don't know who you are. They don't, they're not coaching your youth baseball team. That, that doesn't really happen. So your relationship with the police is very tenuous. Um, you know, you, you drive and you're like, you know, when you get stopped, it could be like, this could be the last night of my life. Depending on me being a big guy, okay, let me put my hands up, give me my license registration. You just don't know. Um, and that's, there's a level of fear and uncertainty that happens. I mean, any, any person could say that. Black person, when you get pulled over, you catch the guy on a bad day, you catch him in a sensitive mood, um, you catch him feeling like you're a threat, whatever it might be, it could be your night to go. And I think it's interesting that uh, white folks who kind of saw the George Floyd video, and I don't like this, it's very painful, and, to, and saw that this could happen. And this is a 2020, and you know we lived in this quote-unquote post-racial America when Obama was president, and everybody loves everybody, and there's no issues anymore. And then our current president took over, and everything split into left, right, whatever you want to call it. And now I think there's kind of an awakening of like, wow, um, there are certain areas of society that are really not diverse, and there's certain shows that are really white and if you look at I mean I was telling someone the other day like you look at a show called Friends like there's no black people that lived in New York according to Friends like they I, I was like you would see the background it's like damn do they are there black people live in New York like and no one noticed no one yeah. no one notices these things you look at Boston Sports Talk Radio and you, you know, I watch it on TV like everybody else and you know, you know the shows that are on and it's just like the ones that are on television, you look at the studio, three white guys, three white guys, three white guys, like show, 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 like no women, no people of color. It's like, okay, you don't talk. Like, it's like, does anyone notice these things? And I just think now people are starting to notice, okay? They're starting to notice that there's been a level of like discrimination and racism. And, and sometimes it's unintentional or it's, it's ignorance. You just hire who you know. You talk to the people who you're more comfortable with, um, you know, and, and it's spread out throughout society. You know, the NBA, um, there's plenty of black, uh, play, black people, black folks who played in the league who want to be general managers. And they sit there and they watch uh, Sam Hinkie get jobs. They watch guys who are analytic guys because that's a code word for like really smart and well, you know, Kendrick Perkins, I'm just throwing it at it. Kendrick Perkins wouldn't know analytics. You know, Paul Pierce wouldn't know analytics, but this guy would. Like, we, it's such a system. And maybe, hopefully, the system can change and be more equal and more diverse. So I think it's gotten the awareness has increased, but I'd like to see that into action. I'd like to see more people of color get interview opportunities. You don't always have to hire. You hire the best person for the job, but you have to offer opportunities to people to get to the next level. You can't necessarily, you can't always, well, you've never done it before. If you never give the person a chance to do it, they'll never get the job, right? So you're gonna have to take a chance. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, no offense, like, you know, we we, we look at uh, Sports Talk Radio and the, the show, uh, you know, Mike Gola Jr. just gets brought in to, uh, gets radio job because his son, his dad played in the NFL. It's like, Okay, like, does that happen to black people? Do we, does our, do our kids get jobs because they're like, you know, like, no, like, my, not, nothing against him. He seems like he knows what he's talking about. I watch it, but it's like the only reason he's there is because his dad is on the show. 
No one says a word. I think it's, I just, I just think that has, that kind of stuff has to stop. Now, if he's the most talented guy in a tryout and he went through these uh, auditions and he stood above, give him the job. But hey, my son likes to do talk too. Bring him, oh, okay, that's great. Like, like, what are we doing here? And no one seems to notice, like, or we, or people of color notice, but white folk, whoa, you're right. It really didn't, I didn't really realize that. Like, how do you not notice? How do you not notice that there's this blatant nepotism and institutional racism and just, just like, you know, you hire people or you bring people in that you're most comfortable with. You don't give people that you're not comfortable with opportunities. And that's, it's, 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 it's sad. And that's what I hope changes. I think the awareness is there. I think the, unfortunately, George Floyd had to pass and, and be murdered on live, on live video for this to happen. But I do think, you know, it's, it's good that for people to finally realize and notice like, wow, we don't have blacks or people of color in management. We don't have diverse. We don't have people in decision-making that can stop certain things from happening, stories from being reported that could be, make, be uncomfortable. Um, and we, this also brings more discussion. I just think we need to be more open and honest about, hey, I don't know all the, the um, issues of people of different nationalities. I don't know all of what Jewish people or gay people or Latino people have to deal with. And they don't know all like, we need to bring this out and open. What are your concerns? What are my concerns? So we understand each other a little, bo little bit more as opposed to assuming everybody's got a good, we're all even. We're not we don't start from the starting blocks even. There's some people who start 10 feet back and they're asked to win the race. So I think the discussion is great. Um, hopefully over the next several months, there'll be more action, um, more diversity, more interviews, more people getting opportunities. If they bust, then get the next guy or get the next gal. That's fine. But just opportunity, I think, is what people are looking for, an opportunity to show what they can do and not be put in a box. And I think Boston's one of those cities that we're so used to being um, the good old boy network. We're so used to everybody helping out their buddies and guys coming up and get guys getting a job in the, as an intern and moving up. And then they look just like, it's like, you know, they all look alike. There's no one saying, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a chance. He might not be as talented, but I see something in him. And I'm going to make sure that he's successful. People of color generally don't get those, a lot of those opportunities as much as white people. So let's hope that so this brings some tangible change. The discussion is good, though. Have you? There's been I, a lot I, of conversation. No, I'm, think, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to the top of my head here. Outside of Holly, I, I don't know if there, I mean, have you ever felt really alienated in a locker room, Gary? Like, I feel like the most of the media in, in Boston, I mean, maybe not, you know, as you go to a Celtics game, you go to a Patriots game, there are obviously people from other markets, but from the Boston market specifically, I feel like, are you the only person of color on a beat anywhere in Boston? No, I mean, it's no. Sherrod Blakely and I. Oh, Sherrod, right. Celtics. Um, Julian Williams with the Red Sox, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's here and there. Um, you go around the league, there's not any person of color that covers the New York Knicks. It's like, okay, there's no black people who do journalism in New York. Like, right. like things that and it, and it just goes by the wayside there's no um no one no one says you know what this is a problem we need to do something about this um we're not talking about taking some totally unqualified person and throwing them in there because we don't want we don't want so to see someone of our nationality race fail and then you'll never hire again we want someone but give someone opportunity um i don't feel as much iso isolated here um but what I notice here is the opportunities for younger people, kids in college, to get block, to get credentials to games, mostly 90% white. Like younger kids of color don't get the opportunities to like, you know, hang around and do Celtic games for, let's say, CLNS. Like, and you guys have people of color work, like, don't get that opportunity. So when they get out of college, they have some experience. It's usually white kids who, because they know people or, you know, it's certain, it's certain networks that exist that certain kids, a kid from Roxbury, a kid who might have aspirations, don't get that opportunity um, 
as much as kids who are white. That's what I noticed. The, 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 the kids who are coming up, it's not, it's not diverse. Um, you, you, you know, if you have a chance in college, you guys know to work at a, for a law firm in the, in the, as a mail clerk when you're a junior, that's all that's invaluable experience because when you get out, the company knows who you are. They, they give you an entry-level job. You know, that's how it all begins. And I, I'd like to see more people of color in those positions so where we can nurture people to do sports talk radio. I mean, you know, we talked, there's an article going on Twitter by Mark Spears and Undefeated about the lack of black play-by-play -play announcers. Like, why? Like, you know, um, there's certain things that we've just learned to accept. Sports talk radio, I think, is one of the more racist because it's just like you have middle-aged white guys talking about the brothers on the floor. That's it. The hell, like, really, are we still on this 2020? Like, we're still, we still can't have a, a voice of a Latino voice or, a, you know, the Red Sox have how many Latino players? If we any Latino voices that to, to, that could, you know, the most one of the most famous Red Sox, Ortiz is Latino. If we had a Latino person in Boston talk about, they were probably not. You know, like mm -hmm. why? Why is it the same people on the air for 25 years? And then no offense, guys, if they get fired by one network, they get signed by another the week later. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's it. it we, it's just we. It's just this merry-go-round, and it's just this time for some new faces. I don't. Sometimes it's just like fresh opinions. Why would we want that? That's what I don't understand. If they're not cutting it, then okay, you can let them go. But there's so so many people out here from diverse backgrounds who have so many great takes, great writers, great who would be great hosts. They don't get the chance because we just recycle the same people or the person goes to the perfect pipeline through college, then they get a job at one of the local radio stations, and then they're on the air by 26, and then it's like the same thing. Um, that's unfortunate, and I just think most of what people are asking is this opportunity, like, or look at a list of people. If I'm hiring a, for a position, you know, I'm going to ask around the people I don't know. I'm not going to hire everybody in my circle. It's so limiting. I'm gonna and, I'm, and I'm gonna enhance my circle. I'm gonna get to know people that don't look like me to say, okay, I want. What are you about? Because you're interesting. Like I'm not gonna turn around and just say, okay, I'm, all, I'm only hiring brothers. That's it. I'm just because that's all I know. Like that's and that happens and it's so accepted that I just don't know. It's interesting that now, 2020, we finally realize this. What do you suppose? I'm sort of you know, thinking through it, I guess, based on everything that you just said, and I, I think you're absolutely right about all of it, with regard to whether it's program directors on the radio, news directors for television, um, you know, editors, obviously, for uh, print or electronic journalism publications, whatever it may be, do you think it's just, I don't think there's a, I'd like to believe anyway, there isn't a deliberate racism when it comes to uh you know a, a lack of minority hiring or or full you know it's always the it, that eoe right you know equal opportunity uh you know employment whatever it may be that you know i i, I think that you know the letters are there and it's it's a little bit of cya as well but do you think there's is it just that it's you're looking at the pipeline, like you said, or it's people we know, like you said, so therefore it's just easy, don't have to work as hard to get the hire, let's just fill the role and move on with our lives? Or do you think there is a, I don't know, some sort of subconscious fear there that exists of, of bringing in those new voices or or someone that looks or sounds different? There's a combination of all those things. And I also think, too, I don't think it's a situation where somebody's outlets are not going after people of color. They go after the same ones that are super talented. And so when the person turns them down because you get a better job, it's, well, we went after that guy. Like, you know, yeah, yeah I'd like, I would, uh, I would like to draft, uh, you know, Zion as, as my first round pick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Zion got taken first. Well, you know what? Damn, you know, well, I just go back to the guy I know, like, yeah, you want to hire the best, but you can't only chase, the ultra extraordinary ta talent, and then when you get when you fall short, say, "Well, we tried." Like that's really limiting. 
And I just know people that, you know, people who get these jobs or who get pursued and there's no way they're going to take this job because they're, they're destined for bigger things. Okay. So it's not like they're not going after any people of color, but you just have to expand your palette in terms of the people of color for which to go after. And if that means asking people that might know them or, Hey, I've been asked by certain employers over my years, do I know any people of color that would like, would fill certain positions? Well, yes, I do. This is this guy. This is this gal. This is like, that's how you have to do it. It just takes legwork. Okay. We don't, ex I don't know all the best talent for what you guys do in the area. But if you ask me who, if there's job opening, I'm going to ask around, right? I'm going to ask you guys, who do you, who's uh, some guy who might be 23 years old who could be the next, because there's a job opening in Springfield or there's a job, there's a sports talk radio opening in Hartford, and he, they're looking for someone young. I'm going to ask you guys, right? I'm going to mm -hmm. ask around as opposed to like, well, I'm just going to only hire someone I really know. Like, you, it just takes legwork. It takes effort. And I just think that effort isn't there because we're not being, the, the, these employers aren't being held accountable. Or they're saying, well, we went after the Zion Williamson. We went after the next great person of color and he said no, so we try. Like that can't be it. You can you can interview more than than one person of color or or one woman. Like you can inter, you you can expand your palette, and that just takes effort. I don't think people expect all these uh, editors and news directors and station managers to know an entire list. It just takes asking around. It takes going to conventions where a lot of people of color are there and getting to meet them. When I was, my previous boss at the Globe, Joe Sullivan used to go to the Black Journalist Conference every year and meet young Black journalists. Now, were all of them ready to work at the Globe? No, but they, he got to know them. He took them all, he would grab a bunch of guys, gals, and take them to dinner. And the people would be like, what do I, should I do? I was like, go. Like, he's just talking to you. You get on his radar. He takes your resume. He puts it down. So. Or if he know, even if he has a position, he might hire you. Or if he knows someone looking for someone younger, he can say, hey, there's a guy I met a couple of months ago. That's how this thing goes. It just takes mm -hmm. effort. It takes um, going outside your box. It takes going to a convention where, no, no offense, you're, the, you're one of 28 white per people at a convention of 3,000. Like, welcome to my world. Where, where, you know, yeah. when, when I walk to, when I go to Seaport. Like when you go and you and you have to maintain comfort and 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 make yourself feel welcome, and that's what it takes. It just takes that extra effort, so we can make this thing balanced. There's people of talented of all races. I don't think people are asked. I don't think people of color are asking to be, you know, from the guy in the mailroom or someone who just two days out of college to to be at ESPN Radio. But I also think that we're asking for opportunities to interview, to make an impression, to show what we can do and not necessarily and, and be discovered and not have to like do backflips to say, hey, I'm here where X guy or X gal or per person who's white gets automatically considered because they either know the station, the intern there, there's some type of family connection. Um, it's it, things like that. Uh, oh, he's he's worked with us since he was in high school. Like things that opportunities that we generally do not get. I was going to bring it back to the NBA, obviously, as we wrap up, because I mean there are a lot of notable things for the Celtics and Celtics fans. You know, Jason Tatum putting on more muscle, and uh, you know Robert Williams is full go. Kemba Walker still has a minutes restriction, all that stuff. But fact of the matter is, we could talk about that in future shows. It's not nearly as important as this conversation. So I want to, and maybe Evan has some parting thoughts as well, but I want to wrap with this on my end anyway. There has been a lot of focus on the NBA with regard to how does coming back, you know, how is it good for the league? How is it good for, you know, the world, fans, you know, a distraction from the pandemic, all of that. But to bring it back to where this conversation began in the Black Lives Matter movement, 
How is it beneficial? Is it beneficial? Because plenty of players believe it's not, you know, and that this is, it's a money grab coming back. Fred Van Vliet was one of the players that said this recently that like, Hey, look, we all know we shouldn't be coming back. We're doing it for money. And hopefully I can take some of that money that I'm going to earn and put it toward important causes to help support the movement. Is it ultimately better for the movement? that the league is coming back and what these players are able to do with their platforms? Or do you think as, you know, Kyrie Irving or Avery Bradley, other players, part of that coalition, that it is a distraction and it shouldn't be happening specifically from that end? I think it all depends, Adam, on what is done when they're down there. And what kind of plan does the NBA have to um, help out these communities? Many of whom, many of communities they they're either playing or they're close to. Um, you know, I've been to, and I wrote this, I've been to, to Celtic, like the Celtics are great in the community. They built, I've been to places um, where they built, you know, in Roxbury, they built computer labs for the schools. But I've also been to Plymouth and some of these very affluent communities where they're building these lush outdoor courts outside in the back of someone's backyard for kids to play million dollar 1.5 million dollar homes like like do the kids really need this like you know they're not going to play ball unless it's like like i just think the nba needs to invest in the communities for which it serves and boston the celtics play close to roxbury they play close to the lakers play close to some of the, the communities that are disadvantaged the league not that there isn't the league the league does good job good work not saying that they don't help anybody. They're just all about making money. But they need to do more. So do the Patriots. So do the Red Sox. Um, we need to know what these leagues are doing to invest in the community. What are the Red Sox doing? How are they investing in the community? I mean, you know, that are that are near them. The, the Jamaica playing the Mattapan. Like, what are they doing to cultivate young black people, kids playing baseball? Um, what we need to know these things. So. We go jump to the NBA. If they go down there and the NBA has a plan and the players have a plan, I think great work can be done. Use the games and the entire three months as a platform to get your message across. Um, there still can be great, great work done. For those players who have bypassed because they want to do other work and their minds are I, – I totally understand that. They're into helping their communities. But we need, as a, as a people – as a, as a as a society to all be make people account make these leagues accountable it's great we all love sports we all love the bruins we all love the red sox we all i mean i'm talking about fans in boston but yeah. what are the what are the bruins doing for the community do we really know that what are these teams doing when they charge you 18 dollars for a beer and you know 50 dollars to park under the garden or 54 now um it's like it's almost the price of a ticket just to park your car. Like, what do what are the what are these teams doing? The Celtics, the Bruins, the Red Sox. What are they doing for the communities? Um, and I'm not, and I'm not talking only help certain communities, but there's certain communities that need more help than others. Chelsea would needs help. Lawrence needs help. Like, there's communities that that the the there could be a pipeline, a connection between professional sports and the communities for which they serve because they are a kind of a public service too. They charge a lot of money for the public service, but they are a public service. And what kind of great PR would that be for teams like the Celtics and the Red Sox to the Bruins and the Patriots to really reach out and help these communities and build centers where kids can play safely and playgrounds. And I'm not saying the teams don't do that at all, but we need more of what, we need more of it, right? We need more of our Boston athletes, not only the McCourties, and Marcus Smart in the communities, reaching out and talking to people. And that means white working class communities that are tough, black working class communities that are tough. Like to reach out, that could really would be what the NBA could do is give us ways and means to reach out. What, are the, what is the NBA going to do? I'm, I'm talking about only the players. It's not only the players issue. What about the owners? There's 29 white owners. What are they doing? You know, besides putting some more money in their pocket or cutting their losses, because if the season was to be canned, it would be major losses. Now, instead of losing, you know, $3 billion, they're losing $1 billion, right? So 
Um, what are the what are the owners going to do? I, I always I thought it was admirable admirable for Whit Grusbeck to go on here and, uh, and post Black Lives Matter. Like so, what are, what are, what are the Knicks doing? What are what are the Hornets doing? What are other teams doing to enhance and help their communities? I think that these teams have built these lavish arenas in these areas. Not many of us. I mean, we all go there because we have credentials. But can we really? Could, if we worked regular jobs, can we really afford to go to a Patriots game? To pay for the, nope. the, the pay to park, no nope. parking's a, a, an issue in itself. Then get a ticket, and not sit where you know you're slapping five with Bob Euchre and Jesus in, in heaven. Like get a <laughs> decent seat. Could we could we do that? Like let's let's be honest. We really we if we worked regular jobs for a regular and those are your real fans, the ones in the 300 section at the garden. Those are your real fans. Those are the ones that watch every game on TV. Not the ones who leave, show up in the midway through the second quarter and leave midway through the fourth. Because when we sit and you see people just, oh, they show up late, they have the good seats, they have season tickets, oh, and, and then you see the ones in the 300 section getting there early and, and getting the full game experience. What about them? What about ticket plans after this pandemic, free tickets for local fans? Are the Patriots going to do that to go see Cam? You know, um, Let's hope they do. Let's hope the Red Sox, so I don't know if we got fans in baseball yet, but let's hope when fans are allowed back, that there's some type of more of a connection between these teams and the communities for which they serve and they play in because they build these billion-dollar stadiums in the middle of these cities, and 80% of the people who live there can't afford to go in. Anything you'd like to add, F? Uh, go back and listen to what Gary said about 20 minutes ago and listen to it again. I got nothing. Be better off <laughs> listening to Gary. I'm serious. No, I'm serious. Yeah, uh, look, absolutely right. I've been working with Jeff uh, Goodman, and Goodman's had a lot of good podcasts lately with a lot of different uh, variety of voices on it. And at the end of the day, a lot of them say the same thing. You know, in order to have real change, you have to open up hiring processes to everybody. It can't just be, you know, black head coaches, it's got to be black athletic directors, it has to be black GMs, and all. it has to be a systematic change throughout everything. And what Gary said, I get 30, 30 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, listen to that again, don't listen to me. I got nothing else. Gary, we really do appreciate the time. Obviously, uh, I know we only hit on so much basketball, but this conversation, as I said before, just so much more important. I know there are more conversations that uh, – have been happening, certainly many, many more that need to continue to happen, and that is really a never-ending thing. But the fact that we're able to have you on and, uh, you know, break from our normal routine, uh, you know, whenever you're on the show is uh, a nice change of pace as well to get a much more important message out there. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Uh, Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. And soon enough, basketball as well, folks. Exhibition games, preseason games, only about a week away if everything – you know, fingers crossed, health and safety standpoint goes off without a hitch. We will find out. But once again, this show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your exclusive sign-up bonus. We want to thank Gary Washburn, NBA writer and national one at that for the Boston Globe. Evan Valenti, our producer. I'm Adam Kaufman. We will do it again this time next week.